Good afternoon, everyone, and Merry Christmas. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Betsy. I'm a member here, and I will be reading our sermon scripture passage for this afternoon. So today we will be reading from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So I invite you to turn there in your Bible. Um, If you don't have a Bible with you, you're welcome to follow along in the um, black Bibles in the back of the pew in front of you. So once again, we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed through their own country by another way. This is God's word. Thanks, Betsy. Well, good evening, everybody. It's good to see you. Merry Christmas Eve. And for those of you who are new, joining us for the first time, my name is Steve, and we're really glad you're here with us today. Uh, So for this Christmas Eve reflection, we're looking at one of the most famous stories, going back to the original Christmas story, uh, specifically this famous section where the wise men visit Jesus. And when I was studying it this week, I noticed something that I hadn't really paid attention to before, and that's that on nearly every single verse of this story— There's a character that we don't think about very often. There's a character that we don't put in our nativity sets. And I don't know if you saw him, but it's King Herod. Like he's on almost every verse, but I've never hung a Herod on my Christmas tree. I never see a Herod, you know, outside churches like with their nativity sets. Uh, But the reason why he's there is because amid the warmth of this Christmas story is a challenge. Uh, Because Herod is meant to serve as a mirror for how you and I, whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, how we're all prone to respond to the Christmas story. Um, And so what we're going to look at tonight is is both the challenge and the comfort that Christmas brings. And so we'll look at it through this lens. It's pretty straightforward. One way you can think of this story is a a tale of three kings. A tale of three kings, that's how we'll view it. And first, we'll start off with King Herod to see the challenge that's in this Christmas story about how we're prone to respond to Jesus. So Herod is this Roman-appointed governor of the region, and here in verse 2, you see wise men come from the far east, and they're asking around saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews, the people that Herod is ruling over? And it says in verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. 
or he was agitated is another way to put that. And this makes sense. So like if you think, so say you're a CEO, say you started a business and suddenly, you know, someone comes into your office or now you're working from home. So they knock on your door at your house and they mention something to the effect of, you know, hey, someone just got in touch with me and they say they're the rightful CEO of this organization and they have all the documentation to prove it. And next week, you know, they're just planning for a transfer of power. That would make you worried, right? And that's what's going on here with Herod. So he's a, he's a king, but he's told, no, the true king is here. And so you have to give up your throne. And so Herod, he is a combination of, he, he's a powerful man, a shrewd man, and an insecure man. Never a good combination, Okay, and so what he does, he, okay, there's this, there's this true king. So he asks around, where's this king supposed to be born? He finds out it's in this little podunk town of Bethlehem. And he tells the wise men, go find where this king is because I want to go worship him. And Herod doesn't really want to worship Jesus. He wants to kill Jesus. So he sends the wise men to go find Jesus. And the wise men, being alerted uh, by a dream, they realize that Herod has ill intentions. So they dupe Herod. And they, they sneak back to their home country through a different way so they don't tell Herod where Jesus was. And when Herod finds this out, that he was tricked by the wise men, he's furious. And so in his rage, you can read about this a couple of verses later in chapter 2, beginning in verse 16. What he does, it's horrible. He has all the male children under the age of two in Bethlehem just slaughtered without question uh, as a way to make sure this baby king Jesus was killed. And it's horrible. And the natural response is to read the story and walk out of here thinking something to the effect of, what a deranged, cruel man. He was willing to go to any lengths to preserve his autonomy. And the challenge of this story is, well, no one, may, no one in here may be a mass murderer. The point of having Herod all throughout this juxtaposed with Jesus is in every single one of us is a mini Herod, um, a mini king that resents any claim to the throne of our lives, right? And we will go to great lengths, even in ways we don't even realize, to maintain authority. And this is something that's even celebrated in our culture. Apparently, we're encouraged to say, no one else tells me how to live. And this is something we learn at an early age. You don't have to teach it. And so, Recently, uh, one of my sons, he's under two, and he just learned the word yes. And so I've been having fun with that. And the other day, I was talking with him, and I was just asking him a series of questions. You know, so, hey, did you have fun with mommy at the gym this morning? Yes. Did you have fun when Mr. John came over for dinner? Yes. Are you looking forward to seeing so-and-so tomorrow? Yes. So I'm like, all right, we're on a roll. And then I go, all right, so tomorrow morning, are you going to obey everything that mommy asks you to do? And he goes, and I, I could not get him to say yes. <laughs> okay, this is just something like you don't need to teach this. This isn't all of us. And the point here is, you know, especially, it's hard enough when another human being tries to tell you, or even when a parent, you know, some of you kids are like, yes, I hate it when my parents tell me to do something. I mean, Jesus, who claims to be God himself, which means he made you, He's the only one who ultimately knows how you should be running your life. When you're confronted with the actual, not like the baby Jesus, but, but the King Jesus on the throne, you know, most high, nothing makes, makes our inner Herod come out more than that claim. That he's made us and ultimately gets to decide how we should live. And so if you're here, you know, whether you're a believer or you're exploring the faith, um, 
this hostility to Jesus, it could come out overtly, you know, just like outright hostility toward God. It can be more subtle, where you say something to the effect of, you know, I don't have any, I don't hate Jesus. I just don't believe he's God. Okay, but underneath that is this resistance to, you know, his authority in our lives. And so it can just be helpful to receive what this passage is asking us to do, which is to acknowledge that none of us here, myself included, are neutral or objective when it comes to the person of Jesus. And that could just be helpful to realize as you're sorting through, you know, whether you believe or not, and if you, if you do believe, you know, how you follow him. And for those of you here who are Christians, you know, maybe you're still like, oh, I don't have that problem. I don't have a mini Herod. You know, I'm, I'm here at Christmas Eve. What else do you want from me, Matthew? And look, there's another character hiding in the company of Herod, and it's the religious teachers, and you can see this in verse 4. So assembling, Herod assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And then they quote Micah, which was written hundreds of years before this, saying that the Messiah of Israel would come. And so these religious, they probably had Micah memorized and are just reciting this off the top of their head. They're working in the church. But notice what they don't do. They don't go visit Jesus with the wise men. They stay with Herod in the court. And what that's getting at is, I mean, you can, you could have gone to church your entire life. You could have sections of scripture memorized. But yet, in the day to day, you love to be, you know, in the metaphorical gilded halls of the important people. You love to be liked more by those who are in your career you know, the movers and shakers in your career path, rather than being identified with a king who's born in a town that no one's even heard of. Jesus was just as insignificant and offensive back then as he is today. And so the, the next challenge of this passage here is, like, it's so easy to come to a service like this, and I'm so glad you're here. It's so easy for me to be preaching a Christmas sermon and to be singing the Christmas carols and reciting the familiar stories but yet never give a fully engaged devotion to Jesus like these people here. So just a simple question for you is even when it comes to the the ordinary day-to-day, do you view your life through your, your identity with Jesus? You know, through someone who's more marked by patience and gentleness rather than by competence and skill and success, as good as those things can be. Okay, so that, that's the first lesson we learn here from King Herod and all those that are in King Herod's orbit. So what's the next king we're going to look at? And we're using this term king here liberally. Uh, we're going to look at the wise men. And we're calling them kings. They, they probably weren't kings, but we're calling them kings because uh, A, they were clearly wealthy based on the gifts, that the expensive gifts they were giving to Jesus. And two, they must have been men of repute because they got access to Herod's court. And so uh, what do we learn from the wise men? And so what the wise men do is they're, they're a helpful litmus test for us to see as we look at the story. Are we more like Herod? You know, do we respond to the Christmas story like Herod? No, I'm God of my own life. Or do I respond to Christmas in a fitting way, which is how the wise men respond. So look at, look, let's look at um, how the wise men respond. Lots of things here. We'll just look at a few. So the most obvious thing, this is probably one of the first things we learn about the wise men, is in verse 11, they open their treasures and they offer him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So these are, these are precious gifts 
and they give them to Jesus. And so what they're communicating here is, yeah, these things are precious, but Jesus is even more precious to me. And so I'm going to give this to Christ. And what this is communicating is one of the ways you know that Christ has really changed your heart is your entire relationship to money changes. And you no longer view it as, you know, how can I use this for myself, either for fun or security, comfort, and so forth, but how much can I give? And so just a brief application here. I mean, you just heard of a wonderful opportunity to um, support those in need. And if you're here visiting for the first time, you know, we're not asking for your money. If you want to give to the, to the offerings that we can support those in need, we'd love for you to. We would just love for you to know Jesus. Um, but one way to, to practice the actual Christmas story would be to give to this offering so we can help these organizations that serve foster kids, kids who don't have a good home to live in, to serve Afghan refugees who've just recently been displaced, to serve families who are homeless. It'd be a great way for us to apply this and not have Christmas just be warm sentiment, but have us enjoy what Christ has come to do for us. So that's the first thing we see. We, We know we're not a herd when our relationship to money changes. Next we see, we'll wrap these two things together. The next thing we see the wise men give up is they give up safety in their career. So when they decide not to go back to Herod and tell Herod where the, where the baby is, where Jesus is, they give up their safety because now their life is forfeit if Herod or any of his, you know, uh, henchmen find, find him or find them. But also they essentially give up their career because now any connections that they look for that Herod's, that Herod's connected to, which were many, those are forfeit as well. And so they're demoting their safety in their career, you know, underneath following Jesus. And I don't know that I can think of two more things that make DMV residents more appalled at than to think about demoting their safety and demoting their career. Okay, to to be clear, like safety is good, you know, please have a security system attached to your home if you have one, that's great. But just one of the things I've noticed, especially over the past few years, is I think a lot of times, even in the church, when we look at decisions, it is safety, I realize the irony now as I'm saying it out loud, safety first, right? But then how does my relationship with Jesus dictate? And just like one quick example is when you, when you think about buying a home or moving, like what's the main grid people typically look at? Safety of the area and are there good school districts? We just don't question it. It's how we think. Okay, in career, I mean, in the DMV area, it's always what do you do? Even now that I'm a parent, I'm realizing that, I'm realizing that people get in competitive with the career of parenting. <laughs> and I mean, parenting is an honorable career. But I mean, all, all like the posturing that goes on online and your gatherings where you're telling someone about like something your kid's doing, but really you're bragging about yourself and how good of a mom you are. <laughs> just ridiculous. Okay, so we, we, always, we tend to elevate safety and, and career big time here in the area. And what we're learning here from the wise men is it's not that career doesn't matter. I hope you all work super hard in your career because you know Jesus. It's not that safety doesn't matter, but those things are no longer the main grid through which you view your life because of your relationship with Jesus. And the final thing we see here, and this is the most risky and most expensive gift of all the wise men give Jesus, and that's the gift of themselves. So notice in verse 11, it says, when they, f- they saw the child with Mary, they fell down and worshiped him. And Jesus is probably around one and a half at this point. When I see a baby or a one and a half year old, I think a lot of things, I don't think about bowing down and worshiping them. 
But this is what they do here because, you know, they couldn't have known everything, but they somehow discerned that the, you know, they'd been looking for this child under the star. They realized that, oh, the very one who hung the stars has now come under the star to do something for me. And I want to give my life to you. And by bowing down to them, especially in this culture, it was a supreme sign of vulnerability because many people carried swords around. So if you just, you know, you bow down and your neck is laid bare, you're essentially saying, if anyone here wants to have their way with me, you can do it. And so they're laying themselves completely bare before Jesus. And that's really the hardest, but also the best thing that we can give Christ in response to to Christmas is our total allegiance. And so how do we do this? Um, This is hard, right? Okay, we all have a mini Herod. Um, How do we actually be sacrificial with our money? How do we view our career and safety differently? How do we give our entire life to Jesus? And here we have to look at the third king. And this king is harder to find, first because he's a baby, and so he's small, and two, he doesn't behave in the way that a normal king behaves. And this is the baby king Jesus. And notice, and we see this throughout the rest of the testimony of the New Testament, every single thing the wise men give Jesus, Jesus first gave to them, and therefore to you as well. So they gave up their money. Jesus left behind the gilded halls and the wealth of heaven itself to, to be born into, not, a, not even just become a human and be born into a family like the Kardashians or something like that. Like he was born into a family of nobodies who were the poorest of the poor. He, these wise men gave up their safety. Jesus became a refugee. Do you know, right after this, you can find out he had to flee to Egypt uh, because Herod was literally hunting him. And especially in light of seeing uh, some of the families in our church and people in our church caring for uh, these, um, this, this one Afghan family in particular who recently dis- displaced. I mean, to be, I don't know what it's like from firsthand experience, but even just, you know, talking with the folks who are caring for this family. I, I can't think of, I can think of few, if any, more unstable and scary positions to be in. And yet Jesus willingly put himself in this position. And then finally, these wise men, you know, they, they bowed down before Jesus and they left themselves vulnerable. Jesus became a baby. And I don't know that I can think of anything more vulnerable than a baby. I have one currently. And I continue to be astounded because a baby can be crying with intense hunger and you can put the bottle of milk or the nipple within three inches of their face and they will die unless you physically like move the baby's face to the milk. I can't think of anything more vulnerable and less threatening than a baby. I can't think of a more gentle king than a baby. And if God really became a baby, that's as good of a God as I think we could ever ask for. And even more so because the only thing that I can think of that's more vulnerable and less threatening than a baby is a grown man stripped naked and nailed to a cross. Because that was the future of this, of this baby King Jesus. 
And the reason he did it wasn't just so that we could sing carols and have hot chocolate later tonight, although praise God for hot chocolate. (laughs) He did it to take any shame, guilt, regret, sin that you carry and have it be canceled in his body by God judging him for your sin and then rising again to give you new life so that you can be a child of the Most High when you trust in Jesus and be given an identity that is eternal and actually valuable and true riches that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And so the message of Christmas is the path of wisdom, because these are wise men, right? The true path of wisdom and the path to real joy is to give yourself in complete vulnerability to the one who became vulnerable to you. And just if, if in love, if I can just say, if you can't give yourself to someone who became as vulnerable as a baby and as humiliated as Jesus was on the cross, then I don't know that you can give yourself to anyone or anything. You're just going to always be your own little God like Herod. And as we close here, I just, I saw this in action the other week. I, um, I told some of you about this the other day. I recently spent an entire day with a young pastor. He's only 24 and his wife, they're newly married, got married about two years ago. And this young man, he just a year ago to the day, it was in December of 2020, uh, he got diagnosed with terminal cancer. And he might have six months, he might have five years, but he and his wife are giving everything to serve the poor in their city and to tell as many people as they can about the good news of Jesus. And I was sitting with them. I just asked, I was like, how are you doing this? Because I don't know that I could, if I found out, you know, I only have this much left to live. And uh, the young man looked at me and he said, you know, Jesus took on flesh for me and flesh is really painful. Like, I know that now, going through chemo and so on and so forth. And if Jesus took on what I am, painful flesh, so that I could become what he is, life and light and in the future have a glorious body, it's a no-brainer for me to give whatever, however many days I have left to him. And so for those of you who, you know, who, who do follow Jesus, and I hope those of you who don't see something powerful in this story and give your life to Christ. And for those of you who do, just, you know, one simple application here in addition to, you know, how we saw the wise men is, I think sometimes as, we, as you head off into the next couple of days, maybe you're with family, maybe you're not. Um, but it's easy when you get around people over Christmas. I don't know, maybe this is just me. I hope it's not. But sometimes family or friend gatherings around Christmas can get so uptight or you can be a little more upset than you were expecting because everyone has their idealized Christmas, but they're all different from one another, right? So like everybody converges under the same home and they all have these fantasies about what the ideal day should be and yet it's different. And so, you know, you get upset, you get impatient with people. In light of this story... I think just some, a very simple, whether it's, you know, this actual Christmas weekend or in, in the weeks to come, rather than viewing everything through the lens of, are my fantasies being met? Are my ideals being met? Is this person serving me? In light of Christ serving you, just being attentive to the needs and desires of others, 
uh, just as Christ first did, did for you, and then other people uh, will get to see a picture of this king as well. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you sent your son, uh, that Jesus, uh, eternal with you, became a baby, uh, so that we can have light and life this Christmas season. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So now, along with uh, millions of Christians around the globe on this Christmas evening, we are going to light candles. Uh, Hopefully you grab one. If you need one, you can grab one in the lobby. And uh, this represents the light that came into the world 2,000 years ago. And so as we uh, light one another's candles, I'll pass it to you all, and then you can pass it around. Um, just take some time as we sing uh, to remember that light, the light that came into the world all those years ago, uh, the light that has come into your life, uh, the light that you get to proclaim to others, um, and the promise that one day you will be made fully whole. And so uh, I'll pass this around, and we can kind